0: Good morning, my name is Ricardo Vargas, I'm one of the um, elders here, and it's just a blessing to be with you guys here again, and having given the privilege to just share God's word with you guys, it's a blessing to be back in this pulpit. We're going to be continuing our series in Ephesians, last week we finished chapter one, and this week we're going to be continuing by looking at chapter chapter two, the first seven verses, and, and it's just... Probably throughout the whole Bible, this is probably the set of my favorite passages throughout the whole scriptures. It's just, it's helped me out so much in my walk with Christ, and it's helped me to understand exactly what God did, and exactly what Christ did in his work on the cross on our behalf. And I'm excited to just get into this word and just share what God has been putting on my heart. I believe that we, as, as just a church, capital big C, the whole Believers in general just kind of have this misunderstanding of what salvation is. And we think that it's only just one time thing that happens when we say a prayer, when we come to know God, and and that, that it's really that it's over. And I think we have this misconception of what salvation truly is. And we lose sight that it's, that it's this multifaceted thing, It's something that, that happens not only when you, when you come to accept the Lord as your Lord and Savior, but also throughout your walk, something that happens in the past, something that's currently happening, that will continue to happen in the future. And that's why one of the reasons why, why I love this, this set of passages, really all through 1 through 10, but we're only going to be in verses one through seven today, but it helps us to see. What God did for us on our behalf on that cross when he sent his son to die for our sins. We get to get this full grasp of what salvation is and what it means to be saved in Christ Jesus. And that's so exciting. I'm, I really want to just share what God has put on my heart. But we're going to be reading real quick. Read again verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We fall to our knees before your throne, Father God. And as we dive into the scriptures, Lord, we, we, we acknowledge that, that there is nothing that we did to ever earn the mercy and grace that you've bestowed on us, Father God, but because your love, because you're a merciful God, because you're a graceful God, you've bestowed on us those things, Father God, and now we've been made alive because of what your son Christ Jesus did on the cross, Father God. Bless this time that we have together as a congregation, Father God. Use me, Father God. Speak through me. May people be convicted, Father God, today. May people look at their own lives and realize where they're falling short of your glory, Father God. Bless this time that we have together. Eliminate any distractions, Father God. May we just take these next several moments while we're looking at your word and internalize it, Father God. May you speak to us through your word, Heavenly Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to these people today, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. And really, we're starting a whole new chapter here in verse 2. But really, he's just a continuation of what Paul was talking about in the previous chapter. The, 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 this and you. He's linking this everyone who's all been predestined. All those who were saved. Who, who've been chosen. Who've been adopted and sealed. And you, those people. Those who he's been talking about. Who are sharing in the riches. Of God, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. See, this is, this is a fact. This isn't something that happens after the matter. You're, we're born this way. We cannot begin to fully grasp the grace that God has blessed us with if we don't first understand the condition it was that He gave us that grace. If we lose sight of who we truly were before coming to know God, we lose sight of how marvelous his grace is, how great his mercy is that he's been given to us. We cheapen grace if we do not first fully grasp the gravity of our condition before coming to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked. This is my first point, is that we all, we are all born spiritually dead. If you're taking notes, capitalize all, circle it, put stars next to it. We are all born spiritually. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the schooling you went, that we're all born spiritually dead. He goes on in verse 3. If you look ahead, he says, And you were children by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, the truth is, is that even though we're sitting here today, there's nothing that separates us from the rest of the world. The only thing that separates us from the rest of the world is the fact that we have mercy, the fact that God has given us grace and that he has saved us. We bring nothing to the table. Some scholars try to split this here and trespasses and sins. And they try to say when Paul talks about trespasses, he's talking about our violations of the commandments. And that sins is referring to any offense that we have against God, indeed, in deed and thought and talk. But really, I think when you look at this, What Paul is trying to get across here is is the gravity of the situation is that before Christ, before you even knew Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, you were dead in your trespasses. In other words, you were dominated by sin, evil controlled everything about you, your thoughts, your actions was controlled because of your sinful nature. And so we are all born spiritually dead. What that means is that we are born separated from God. And to be separated from God, we understand that means it's akin to death. It's not something that you did. It's not like that moment, that first moment as a baby where you yelled at your mother or where you snatched that toy from a friend and you showed yourself to be selfish. That isn't when you became selfish. That isn't when you became sinful. You're born that way. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We understand that he's talking back there, Paul, about, about Adam. And when Adam decided to take the apple and what happens at the fall, and now that the world has fallen, we're all dead through sin because of what happened. We are now born sinful by our nature. There's, there's nothing good about us. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're the west of your the person way in the back. We're all born spiritually dead. There's no good in us. This is what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. When, when It says, Good teacher, and he's like, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It Does not matter how you're raised, it does not matter what, what, what you did or how good of a life you lived as a toddler, if you listen perfectly, we're all born spiritually dead. And I can make the analogy of, of just just have kids. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. But that also puts the onus on someone else. If you don't believe that we all have a sinful nature, just, just walk around your house at late at night. Turn off all the lights and decide to go running. And the moment you stub your toe, let me know what's the first words that come out your mouth. It's not, oh, bless Jesus. It's, it's, it's probably something else. It's just that's who we are by, by our nature. We're, we're sinful by our nature. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. This isn't something that we become. We're born this way. You're, you're spiritually dead because of your sinful nature. It's not because you did something. That's just how it happens. It's because of what Adam did as we read in Romans, Romans 5. So, what does it mean to be spiritually dead? What does it mean to not have any spiritual life? It's, it's that there's no truth in you, there's no righteousness in you. You don't have this, this inner peace that comes from knowing the Lord as your knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's no ha- inner happiness that comes from knowing that you've been saved. You may have happiness, you may have peace, but it's not true peace, it's not true happiness. To be spiritually dead is to just fall short of God's glory at all times we know this in Romans 3 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that's true of everyone this is just a natural consequence of the fall because of the fall because of our sinful nature we are morally corrupt we're enslaved to sin and by nature we're just now at odds with God we are, by nature, his enemies because of the way that we're born, because of what Adam did. And there's no way of escaping it. And you may think of yourself as a good person. You may say, you know what? I read my Bible every day. I give. I see someone on the streets, and, and I help out. I feed the homeless. Isaiah, 60, and Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. The truth is, yes. You may be better than the person you're comparing yourself to, but, but truth is you'll always be better than the person you're willing to compare yourself to. When we, when we think about who, who our standard is, and that is God, that he is perfect, and he is holy, and he is just, we will always fall short of that standard. John Macarthur, his commentary says, "It is a sinner's condition of sinfulness, and not his particular sins that separate him from God. His particular his particular acts of goodness cannot reconcile him to God." Understand this you, you don't you don't sin because sin doesn't make you a sinner. You're a sinner, therefore you commit sinful acts. It's a part of our nature. Because we're born this way, we're, we're enslaved to sinful things. So what does it mean to be spiritually dead? We look here and we look at the rest of verses 2 and 3. And Paul gives us three, three ways that the spiritually dead person is spiritually dead. And it's like the first one we find is in, in, in verse 2. and once you, in, which you, in which you once walked following the course of this world. The, the spiritually dead person is enslaved to the world. They're controlled by the world's influence. Whatever the world tells them they do, the world says jump, they say how high. It's this idea that, 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 that you're enslaved to a coach, to a society that is completely opposed to the things of God. That you are willing to follow all the ungodly trends. That you're all about materialism, you're all about naturalism, you're all about whatever your heart desires you get, no matter what happens, no matter what you got to do to get there, no matter who you got to hurt, no matter the things you got to do, whatever you want you get, your spiritually dead person is enslaved to the world. And we know this. We know that, that the society that we live in, that the culture that we live in is completely opposed to God. Just look at our stance when it comes to abortion. Just look at our stance when it comes to marriage or sexuality or homosexuality, whatever it may be. You can just look at our world and look and understand that we, as a society, as a culture, completely oppose the things of God. And so you look at the world and the spiritually dead person says, oh, well, I'm going to do what the world says. You're more concerned about being accepted by the world by looking a certain way, but doing what instead of doing what God is calling you towards. We enjoy coming to church. We enjoy doing doing things that make us feel better. We we even enjoy memorizing certain scriptures, but when it comes to really applying those scriptures to our life, we we pump the brakes. We like to say, we like to repeat Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we like to say that, but, but when it comes down to it, do we really like to play that out? Do we really want to apply that to our lives, or are you just following the way of the, of the world? First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other. He will either be devoted to one or despise the other. You can't be a spiritually alive person. You can't be renewed and still seek to serve the world. The spiritually dead person looks at the world and follows It's influenced by it. I'm not saying that, that, that having nice things is bad. I'm not saying that, that having money is bad. But when those are the things that control you, when those are the things that dictate your actions, when those are the things that, that, that's all that matters to you, then you're, you're treading water. You're getting into dangerous territory. The question is, what are you letting affect you? The spiritually dead person looks at the world and follows it and all that it has and says, that's what I want, and decides to turn their back on God. The second, he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Simply put, the prince of the air, it's those who are spiritually dead are following Satan. They're falling for his traps. He's setting these baits and he's setting these traps for them. And the spiritually dead person just falls for time and time again. This idea of the power of the air. In ancient times, it's the term air often referred to the, to the space between heaven and earth. And it's that realm right there. That's where the demons did the work. That's where, where Satan is, is in control. So you're following him, and, and you're, you, you're delving into that place. It's where Satan is active. In other words, a spiritually dead person is subject to Satan's influence at all times in their lives. Goes on, it says the, the sons of disobedience. It's because they're always they're always falling for the traps. What does it mean? We look at at, at, verse, at chapter 5 here later on in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 6. Paul uses this phrase against sons of disobedience. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon, sorry, verse 5. For you may be sure of, his, of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. In Christ, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What does it mean to follow Satan, to follow the prince of the air? You're a sexually immoral person. You're impure. You're greed, you have a lot of foolish talk in you. The spiritually dead person is not concerned with the things of Christ. They're not worried that they're following Satan, that they're following the world. They just want to do whatever feels right. Third, the spiritually dead person. Verse 3, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul here, he says, among whom we all once lived. He's including himself in here. Perhaps one of the greatest authors that we have in the Bible is saying, yes, I once was like that. I once was a child of wrath. Just went about following his evil passions, following his evil desires, doing whatever I want to. The spiritually that person has no self-control. They follow their passions carrying out the desires of the body. Some different translations here says, gratifying the craving of their flesh, or the the King James, the lust of our flesh. This idea that they're driven by their desires, that they see something, they want it, and they don't stop to think whether it's something they need. They don't stop to think about who they're hurting. They just know that's what I want. That's my flesh, and I want that, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. idea of following the flesh you're following your sinful desires you're driven by them and therefore you're alienated this person the this spiritually dead person is alienated from God what are some other passions that, that, that we can refer to turning back to Galatians 5 518 you see Paul saying once again But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Someone who who follows their passions, who don't have self-control, they're angry people. They always respond in anger. There is no self-control when it comes to the things that they want, the things that they desire. They don't stop to think, how does this honor God? They just go and move forward. The spiritually that person lacks any type of self-control. He goes on in verse 5. I mean in verse, in verse 3. And you are by nature children of God wrath. It's not an error. This isn't, it, this isn't a mistake. It's by nature. You, you, you were this way by your very own nature. It's the way that we were born. Children of wrath. Realize this. You have the same sinful nature as, as the worst of your enemies. As that neighbor that you can think about who, who you really don't like. It's That neighbor who, who, who never picks up after their pets when they're walking them. Or, or that neighbor who, who just leaves their trash can out a little bit too long for your liking. Perhaps it's that neighbor that, that is just too loud and you're like, that's a bad person. The truth is, is we're no different by our nature. We always think we're better than the person next to us. This is our nature. There's no one else to blame. You, you don't blame Satan, you don't you don't blame anyone. It's just, you are this way by your nature. Children are like the rest of mankind. You go after your passions. You go after the, your desires and your cravings because that's how, who you are. You are spiritually dead. There is nothing about us. That, that separates us from the rest of mankind, from the rest of humanity. By nature, we are children of wrath. But, we're, but we praise God because it doesn't just end there. We have these next six letters. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. It gets me to my second point, that God is saving you from death and he's bringing you to life. That's what's happening here, that you were dead in your trespasses, but now because of what God is doing, because of the mercy that he has, because of the grace that he has, he has made you alive. You're no longer spiritually dead, but now you have spiritually, you're spiritually alive. The emphasis here is on God, but God, not us, not something that we did, not, not because we decided we're going to come to church, not because we decided that we just we need to be better people. It's because of what God has done, but God being rich in mercy, it's all on him. For him to be rich in mercy, he has an abundance of, he's overflowing with mercy. He's overflowing with grace. He's overflowing with love. Because God is mercy, because God is love, because God is grace, that he extends that to us. We do not, sometimes we do not fully comprehend, we do not fully understand How much grace God has for us. How much mercy he has on us. Because we tend to think we're okay people. But it says in verse 5. While even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when you were choosing not to obey him, even when you were choosing to follow your flesh, follow your passions, even when you were choosing to be of the world, when you are choosing to fall for all of Satan's traps, even at that point, him being rich in mercy made us alive together. God is the one who's doing the work. We bring nothing to the table. We were following the world. We were spiritually dead. And God is the one who acts. God is the one who extends mercy. God is the one who extends grace to us. It's because of those things, like I said. It's because he is mercy. He is love. He doesn't just sit back. He doesn't just sit back and watch us just live our lives. He takes an active role. Titus 3, 4 to 5 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's him. It's God who poured out his richly grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Commentator says, "God is not an onlooker in the salvation process. He's not in an angry huff waiting to be appeased. Rather, He, God, is the primary actor, the one who, by His love, deals with His own wrath and show mercy to His people. God doesn't act merciful towards us because of something that we did. Because it was even when we were dead in our trespasses, He showed us mercy. He showed us grace." See, without God's mercy, without God's love and grace in our lives, there is no hope for us. God is the one who's doing the work. I can look back at my life. I can look back 16 years ago. And really now, 16 years later, I can look back and say that was all God moving. That even before I even thought about going to church, even before I even thought about what, what, what I was doing and the weight of, of my actions, God was reaching me. He was, calling himself my, him, he was calling me to himself through the Holy Spirit, using people that I love, using people that I cared about to soften my heart, using my, my wretchedness to, to, to get me, using my pride to get to a point where I felt like I had to defend my honor and get in a fight in school, in a fight that I knew I had no business doing. I knew I was gonna lose, but my pride said, you can't let him punk you like that. So what happens, I get slammed, break my phone, have to drive 45 minutes away, visit my cousins who I hadn't seen in four years, and they invite me to church. And it's then, at that point, that God starts softening his heart, and he starts revealing his grace to me, and it gets to the point where I I can't resist his grace no more. It's what we get, the, the I in, in, in Tulip and, and this reformed soteriology, that his grace was irresistible or, or it was effectual. And I start seeing that my heart starts being soft and the Holy Spirit starts working in me and, and there's nothing I can do. And I start seeing God for who he truly was and I start seeing myself for who I truly was. And I start to be radically changed by the working of the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit changed, was changing the inclination of my heart, was changing the inclination of my will. I started to see how much I needed God's grace. And it all started happening way before I thought I was even good, way before I started going to church. God was already working in me, already softening my heart. We don't bring anything to the table. God is the one who's doing the work comes and says, we need to remember that no one is beyond the reach of God's regenerating grace and no one is beyond the need of God's regenerating grace. This idea, by grace you have been saved. R.C. Sproul says that God's grace is so powerful that he has a capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. Realize this today. You got God's mercy. You got his grace because God is those things. Not because you were doing something at that time. Not because you've earned it or you deserve it. But because God looked at you and loved you and said, I will have mercy on you. I will have grace on you. You will be saved because of what my son has done. Nothing else. This idea here of saved by grace. You see it again in verse 8. And in the Greek, it's in this—it's in what's called a perfect tense. It's really what it's pointing to is that that it's pointing to a past event, and it's also pointing to continuing events. So another way you can read this is is. God saved you, past tense. He is saving you, present tense, and He will be, and you will be saved, the future tense. That it, that it's an ongoing work. That just because we said a prayer, it does not end there. That we continue through sanctification to become more like Christ. That we continue through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to pray more, to read more, to resist the powers of Satan, to resist sin more. It's not that you become perfect. It's not that you've, you no longer sin, but because of God's work in your life, you're sinning less. We should People should be able to see how you were different, see you growing. Grace is what moves God. Like I've said earlier, it doesn't matter how you were born. It doesn't matter if you, if you believe you were born a christian or you, you can go back, as far back as you can remember i've always been a christian or 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 it doesn't matter if you've lived the most reprehensible the most disgraceful shameful depraved life we all have the same mercy we've all been given the same grace we all have been given the same salvation through christ jesus and his work on the cross there isn't different levels to it God is the reason for your salvation. He's the reason you are saved. He's the reason you have grace. One person doesn't have more of it. So what does it mean to be made spiritually alive? It goes on in verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so now and this 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 mirrors the resurrection of christ now you have been saved by grace and now you've raised up and you're seated with him in the spiritual have in the heavenly places in christ jesus in other words you have this is this is reminiscent of some type of authority of superiority now that you've been saved and now that you sit with jesus now you have the power to resist satan and his temptations you have power to, to, to say no, to sin less. You've been given a sense of, of, of authority. Not that we're divine, not that we have some divine nature. But now, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can overcome the temptation and sin. That's what we've been given. We've been made spiritually alive been given this authority to to, to sin less, the opportunity to work out your faith with fear and trembling, to work out this relationship with Christ so that you become more like him. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He goes on. And so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You're saved so that you can show off God's grace. So he can look at you and say, you see that mess there? See what I did with them? I can do that with anyone. We're we're, being saved through faith and grace because God wants to show people what he can do for them. Not to keep it to ourselves, but to go out to the world and show people what God has done for us, to show people how we're different, how much the grace of God and mercy of God has changed us for the better. We're we're saved to show off God's grace, to show off his love, to show off his mercy to the world so that he can use us as trophies. and said, look what I can do. There's no limit to my grace. There's no limit to my mercy. If I can save them, I can save you. There's only two types of people in this world. The spiritually dead or the spiritually alive. There is no in-between. You're either living in sin and under the influence of Satan, or you're living in Christ and under his influence. There is no in-between world. You're either alive spiritually or you're dead. And that's what the beauty of this passage does for us. So let's see that God is the one who's working, that no matter what you may have done in your life, no matter how you may live, no matter what you're currently doing, it does not supersede the grace of God. It's not enough that the mercy of God does not cover it. It's because of what his son has done on the cross. You may say, well, I've been walking with God for a while now, and I just I can't get it together. My encouragement to use is read Lamentations three twenty two through twenty three, where it says that the steadfast of love, that His love, His mercy never ceases; they never come to an end. They are new every morning. As a follower of Christ, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then every morning that you wake up, you've been given you mercies, you've been given you grace. Walk according to that. Walk according to what God has called you to. You may be here and you're saying, I don't know if that's true for me. I don't know if, if God could truly repair my heart. If if he knew everything about me, if he knew my deepest, darkest secrets, I don't know if God can save me. To you I say that that God is rich. He's abundance of mercy. He's overflowing with mercy. He's overflowing with grace. He's overflowing with love. That there's nothing that you can do that, that can take that away. That God's love and his mercy and grace supersedes whatever you may have done in your past life. We are not saved because of something that we did. We're saved because of what God has done. Because he sent his son to die for our sins. And the wrath of God was satisfied that day on that cross when he laid all our sins on Jesus. And now he rose again, and it's through his death, and it's through his resurrection that now we have new life that's offered to anyone who wants it. If you've never accepted the gospel... If you've never really understood it, please, please see me after service. See Wes, see one of the elders. We would love to talk to you about what it means, to what the gospel is and what it means for you. We'd love to take you out and have a conversation on what it means to be alive, to have spiritual life. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your love, and mercy over our lives. We don't deserve it. The truth is, is that we're all wretched people. We're all sinful, Father God. We've all done stuff where, where we, don't earn, we, we don't deserve your glove. We don't deserve the grace that you have over us, Father. It's because you are those things. You are merciful. You are loving. You are graceful, Father God, that you look at my mess. You look at my filth, and you still... Set your son to die for us, Father God. We thank you for that, Father God. We ask that as, as we go on to this day, Father God, that we would be reminded of your grace, that we would be reminded of your mercy towards us, Father God. The reason we're able to have a good meal, the reason we're able to walk and breathe is because you've been merciful and grace, gracious to us, Father God. Thank you for your love and mercy and grace. Pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Would